Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-23-2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have uh, this evening. We pray as we open your word tonight that we will be those worshipers, those kind of worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the questions that are here uh, we have already discussed. We pray for wisdom as we approach your word and that we will come away with the, uh, the, the correct interpretation so that we can know you better. We pray for those uh, in our body. Uh, we pray for, especially uh, Corinne and Cliff are moving at this point. We're praying for wisdom uh, that they may make the right decision. Also, Father, for those of our group, who, those who may be sick among us, uh, we're asking for your comfort and your healing in uh, that area as well. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Amen. So we Amen. have... Amen. Yeah. So we have been... Um, focused on Romans and our verse today uh, where we are is Romans 10 18 it reads but I ask did they not hear of course they did their voice has gone out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world so we're going to try to focus our attention on that verse for a bit and we still may do some Q&A after. We'll see how that goes. Uh, you have notes. God created man with free will. In the final analysis, we read these words. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Romans 1.20. From God's perspective, we can dispense with the argument that we haven't heard the good news. God is responsible that we are provided with a choice in the matter. The gospel is a supernatural provision to all born in Adam. God's communication of this most important plan is also by supernatural means. God is not willing that anyone perish. And that desire is met with provision prepared for us to receive the good news. So, in our context, as we have covered, we are aware that Paul's focus is Israel. And it really comes, stems way back, obviously, if you even go back to 2 and 3 Romans, that is 2 and 3 chapters, and four, and, and right on up to the point where in eight he dealt with the objections that Israel had with respect to our calling, our election, and that is the church. We find that uh, there was great uh, disagreement uh, on the uh, Jewish side, those who wanted to continue with the Mosaic law. And even in the church, there were those who 
were vying to have the direction uh, of the church be the same as that of Israel. <laughs> I'm thinking there is pretty much that going on as we speak in the church today, but it is a wrong direction. It is failure to recognize God's moving and his plan that was established through miracles, signs, and wonders. We ought to know, is the point, what God is doing. He has not done it secretly. Uh, he did it in the open. He, he made, made known which direction he was going. So, I, as I look at what happened in Israel, I can realize that they failed. <coughs> but we always say, <coughs> excuse me, we always say with failure, it, it is not a fall that they should be lost forever because, because God's purpose for Israel will eventually come to fruition. And we know of Israel's exploits in the tribulation and how valiant they are and courageous in the face of death and uh, the characters that Satan has between the beast and the false prophet and all of those enemies of God. So we, we do see Israel prevailing and God continues to have them stand as a beacon in this world to those other nations and who um, would also have the opportunity to see God in a special way through the, the nation Israel. So we're going to go through these, this verse a little bit. We're going to break it. We have two phrases. <clears throat> the first one is, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. So if we're looking at the previous verses, we, I'm hoping what you do is to integrate all that we have covered with these verses that we um, are are now going through. You, I mean, hopefully you see the continuity between what we're saying now and what was already said. Um, for instance, if I poke in at verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all believed, obeyed the gospel. Um, I think I'm reading ESB. <laughs> I'm skipping. So verse 16 but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? So this is where we are right here in this phrase. Did they not hear? And what are we talking about? We're talking about the word about Christ. And Paul is making the assertion that they did hear. It was not a, a matter of them not hearing. It was a matter of believing. We get that from verse 16, where he says, Who has believed our message? And then he says, 
uh, not all of the Israelites believed or accepted the good news. So let's go through the notes here. I've got a few points to consider. First one is from man's perspective and means, this is a valid question. Can we say we haven't asked this very thing ourselves? Uh, so, of course, Paul's answer to the question is one thing, which we'll get to. All of us, I'm sure, in fact, I know I have answered this question, and certainly I've had this question myself. How does everyone get to hear? I mean, this is a really valid and important question that we have to resolve in our minds. Otherwise, it violates our sense of fairness. We say, well, yeah, we're over here and we're saved and we're in this country and, and everything is, you know, perfect. You know, we got God, we got the gospel, we got everything. But what about those people over there in some remote area of the world? How, how do they get the gospel? How do they hear? So those are valid questions. I have had them, you have. I can't speak for you, but I certainly have. And, and I don't think it's wrong to uh, question that. I mean, for us to question that, listen, we should know many people are unbelievers because they don't understand these things. They are unbelievers for that reason. Said, well, you know, we were raised as, you know, Muslim, or we were raised as Buddhist, or we were raised as atheists. How can we understand? And we never heard the gospel. How, how, do, how are we supposed to be saved? You know, there are people who are focused on that question, and that is the reason they reject Christianity. So we need to, we need to answer this for ourselves. It is an important question. And so let's dig in. So this is right where Paul is. Well, of course, Paul is not really telling us this from his perspective. He's telling us from God's perspective and what he thinks through the Apostle Paul. So let's look at it. Point B, for Paul to mention this in, the, in this context speaks to the point that Israel is responsible for their rejection of Christ. So... They may say things like, uh, you know, make excuses, did they hear? Well, really he's saying God gave them this commission. He called these people. They were elected and they had a purpose. And ultimately they failed in that purpose. Now, God is not going to cast away his people, which he foreknew, right? That, that's actually <laughs> uh, the next chapter, verse 1. We'll get to that, I'm sure, Romans 11. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. Now, that's not the case. But Paul, to mention it in this context, where Israel uh, refuses to believe the gospel, like he says in verse 1 of Romans 10, Israel refuses to believe the gospel. And now Paul digs in, as he is known to do, with detailed understanding and uh, looking at every angle of their rejection. So, in this context, he's letting us know Israel failed. This is all about Israel. Yes, we can talk about ourselves and, well, what about this question? But this context is about Israel, and it continues to be about Israel. Point C, 
did they not hear? Let's do, those in question are the Jews. And we know that from Romans 10, 16, where he says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Okay, so he's focused on the fact that the Jews um, did not believe. Now, we should also note, this is not a conclusive statement in, in that some Jews did believe, and some Jews did not. So it was a mixed uh, a mixed bag, we might say, of some believed, some didn't. But they were still within the group of Israel. But what we, we do know is that the, the leadership, when we covered this one week, what really, the leadership in Israel rejected Christ. And that's not only many people, but the leadership was in question, especially as we read in Isaiah chapter 28. This question is laid out for us. You who rule this people, as my memory serves. So, uh, yeah, those in question are Jews. That's, just want to make sure we keep the context here. Point D, to this question, we are, uh, we have a resounding of course they did, right? So in other words, Paul says, did they not hear? And he follows with, of course they did. And to follow this, Paul quotes from Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our message, right? So this follows that point where Isaiah is saying, who has believed our message? Paul is saying, of course they had the message. It's not about the fact of whether or not they had the message. It is about the fact that they did not believe the message. We should be clear about that ourselves. Because uh, we, we want to quickly say that, well, did they hear? That's the question, right? Did, did, did they not hear? What was the problem? Why didn't Israel fulfill their purpose? Well, did they not hear it? Paul is saying, of course they heard it. It is that they did not believe it. That's the, the point here that he follows up with this. Point E, there is no question in Paul's mind of why he asks this rhetorical question. It is to make the point that Israel failed. But all hope is not lost. As we know, what do we read in, we're going to read in Romans 11.1, 1, I ask then, did God reject his people? So he's asking another question, right? Did he reject his people? In other words, uh, if God did reject his people, uh, it would be on God, wouldn't it? The responsibility. And God rejects the people he foreknew and all that. And again, that's a rhetorical question. By no means. He certainly did not. And Paul says, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. So if Paul is saying this, he's saying no. What Israel wanted, I got. And, but Paul is really saying, I got more than that in the church age. So that's more of what I would say this is, this, the meaning of this is. It's on, so there's no question in Paul's mind why he asked this question. He is trying to illustrate that Israel failed and they failed to believe. That's the point. Paul himself did believe. And that's why he can name himself among those who are in the church now. 
All right, so, so that's the first point, uh, first phrase, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. And then this next phrase in point number two, their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So, so Paul quotes from Psalm 19 uh, to in this passage. So he goes all the way back to Psalm 19 again. Let's don't we read it. Uh, we're going to review Psalm 19, one through four. I really could go more, but one through four should give us the understanding. So Psalm 19:1 from the director of music, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So, and it goes on, but the whole point here is about creation and what creation speaks. Creation speaks and declares who God is. It's, I mean, it cries forth. It, day after day, verse 2, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. This is the creation that God has made. So he, that's why it says, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So why is Paul quoting this? Right, point B. Again, we find the apostle borrows words familiar to the Jews to illustrate his point about the good news. We have seen this before. Now, when I say we have seen this before, uh, we have seen this quite a lot with the apostle Paul using Old Testament terminology and language to make sure that he has the attention of the Jew. The Jews know these verses. They know... Obviously, the verses are referring to creation, not necessarily the gospel. However, creation does set the stage for the gospel. It does make a point. And the Holy Spirit does use creation to show that there is a God. And so, but it does not necessarily talk about what happened, like what Isaiah says, the good news, does it? So Paul is using the words but he's using them to illustrate his point in the gospel, which we, he, is, he is free to use anything he wants to make his point, as we covered before. If you're not sure about that, I'd say we should talk about it. If you think Paul's usage of this is wrong, we should talk about why you think that and, and why it is not incorrect. So I have here the Shakespeare analogy. So what is that? Right. I've done this myself. I've used words, phrases that I find. Uh, but those words and phrases may not, if you go back to those words and phrases, 
they may not necessarily be talking about the gospel or how I'm going to use them. But the creative mind of Paul takes those words from the Old Testament and then he uses them to illustrate something that he, he wants to talk about. He repurposes those words. For instance, I used to say all the time when I was talking about salvation, I would quote Shakespeare. I'm hoping this is Shakespeare. Maybe it is. I didn't really look it up, but I'm assuming Shakespeare said this. He said, to be or not to be, that is the question. Now, somebody's going to come back and say, no, that wasn't Shakespeare. <laughs> well, whoever it was who said that, he wasn't talking about the good news, salvation, being saved. But I'm using it to say that you are either saved or you're not saved. There is no other way around. There is no other uh, way to look at this. To be, to be saved, or not to be, to be lost, that is the question. I used to teach salvation, and I used to use this thought because I was trying to show the definiteness, the reality of salvation. If you're not, well, if you're, to, if you're not in salvation, if you don't have it, well, there's... You're not, you don't have all the things that are related to salvation. So that's the question, to be or not to be. But it's just an analogy. We won't get caught up in what Shakespeare said, and all, let's read all the works of Shakespeare, or whoever wrote that, and let's see what he meant, and let's read the whole thing. And this. No, I'm just taking those words. I have the liberty to do that, to illustrate whatever point I want to make. And I'm not taking Shakespeare out of context. I'm not doing I am using and borrowing those words to illustrate my point. That's exactly what the apostle has done. So the so point C in our notes, 2C, the issue is not that they did not hear the good news, but that they did not believe. And that's Romans 10, 16, which we already said. Um, and then Acts 7.51, which we know says, uh, uh, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you will always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. Context there is about Jesus Christ and the Jews stoned Stephen, because Stephen was preaching about Christ and the resurrection. They killed him, literally. You might look at that just like Cain killed Abel. Uh, same, the same scenario took place there. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was righteous. And why did they kill Stephen? Because he was righteous. And, or you got Romans 10.4, which is our context, which talks about, Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites might be saved. And then he talks about what is the issue? They refuse to submit to God's righteousness. They refused. They would rather develop their own righteousness from the law. So why would you use Psalm 19 to illustrate God's message of the gospel? Why why would why you use why would Paul do that? Why would he use that Psalm 19? And one note, this is point D by the way, he used it earlier in Romans 120. And I quoted Romans 120 in the opening. 
where it talks about they are without excuse. But the reason I think why he used it is because both are universal and evident to all. The gospel is universal. It, it, its implications are Christ died for the sins of every person and God wants every person to be saved. Salvation is free. Anybody can have it. Anybody in the entire world. And so is creation. It affects every single person that would be born on planet Earth. Creation is evident. God is evident in creation. So uh, let's review a couple things with some scriptural evidence that we have uh, with, with respect to that point. So first thing is, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, has the role of communicating this most essential task. And th now that's, that's huge there. Just like God the Father has the role of the author and the originator of the plan, God the Son, which we say God the Son, has the role of inheriting all things from the Father, right? And all things will, will, will be executed through the Son. You know, that's his role. Well, the Holy Spirit has the role of communicating this, all the work that has been done from the Father and the Son. He has the, that's a huge role. Communications from creation to the flood. And this is point number two. From creation to the flood, Genesis 6.3 says, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. Now we know the rest of this verse talks about 120 years. They are flesh and God's going to destroy them uh, by means of the flood. But notice, my spirit will not contend. And I remember that studying that years ago. Well, it, it, it literally meant convince inside. And just the same thing we have in the Greek in uh, John 16, 8, where it says, when he comes, he will convict the world. And there it is again, convince inside the world, the world of unbelievers, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But notice in 6, 3, Genesis, the Holy Spirit was there. This is many generations after what happened in the garden. Many generations and people were multiplying upon uh, on the earth. And, and this is what it said. God ended up bringing the flood and brought destruction. So, but notice, the Holy Spirit was there doing his job as communications liaison. Uh, for this most important, essential task. Point number three, from Abraham to Pentecost. So now we got from Genesis all the way up to Abraham, right? And Acts 7.51 is a very crucial verse. Well, we already quoted it where it says, uh, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. Now, obviously, the issue at hand there was that they believe in Jesus Christ. Because their Messiah came to them. And what did they do? John 1, 11, uh, He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. So we have the evidence here that, um, that, the, um, that Israel, from Abraham, who was the establishment of Israel. You know, I will make you a great nation. All nations of the world will be blessed. 
through you all the way to Pentecost. Why do I say all the way to Pentecost? Is because in, at Pentecost, a new message came, and that would be point number four. From Pentecost to the present day, that's John 16, 8 through 11. Here it is, when he comes, and that's God the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was already here, so but he's coming with a brand new ministry. And it, it is twofold. One, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And here they translate it prove, but that is, he's, the Holy Spirit will go to each person who, when he says the world, the world of those who are unbelievers. He's not doing that to believers because they've already accepted the good news and, and he has already brought them to salvation. So that's the point. So those, that takes us right to the present. That says that the Holy Spirit has been on a job since creation, the creation of the world, and since the fall, all the way to present day. And I think that's significant as we think about it, uh, as, as far as his role, it's, it's, impo it's an important role. And it, not only important, but is, it is as essential as the work of Jesus Christ. We have to say that, because if Jesus Christ died for all, but we're all spiritually dead under the wrath of God, can't hear, can't even hear God, then what good is that for us to know, or, well, for us not to know, it is no good if we don't know. Well, it is good, but if we can't know it, it can't. How can God offer us salvation when we are ignorant about it? So then, there's another important passage. This is point F now, moving forward. Another important passage to consider, and this is Genesis. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to read this. We, I don't know. If we will have all the time. But I'm going to read some of this, this one point in particular, and then before we, so this is Genesis, and just Genesis chapter 11. Now, in this point, we're also going to Acts chapter 17, 24 through 27, which you should be familiar with. We will read it, but I want to emphasize Genesis 11, 1 through 9, just so we can understand how we got to Acts 17. So Genesis 1, 11, 1, now the whole world had one language and, and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower uh, the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down, confuse their language, so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there, from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it is called, it was called Babel, because 
there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And uh, from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So as we read that, just understand what happened at the Tower of Babel, which we, we know. I'm going all the way all uh, in the New Testament to Acts chapter 17 to follow up with. And this is verses 24 through 27. This is the passage. So it says, <clears throat> this is Paul speaking at the Argopus. Uh, so... I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll start at verse 24. And he's making you know, a statement as he looks at this, uh, uh, this idol that they are worshiping to what the unknown God. Verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. <laughs> now, we could stop at that point, okay? He is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. So notice, with regard to salvation, that's what we're going to say. God reaching people. He doesn't need us. He does employ us. But it is for our benefit. It is a blessing, as Paul says, to be able to share in the work of the gospel. It is not something where God says, I can't do it. I'm going to need to, to have human means to help us. So rather, he himself gives, listen to this, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So remember we talked about who's responsible, right? Whether it's us or God. Well, if God gave me life and breath, He's responsible. It's not just, you know, okay, now, to, but remember, we got the bad news. That's also where, where I've been given life and breath, right? In the bad news. So I can't be responsible for my salvation if I don't know anything about it and I don't care anything about it. That's the nature I have when I'm born. Verse 26, from one man, that one man is Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries and the boundaries of their lands. Notice nationalism. There it is. And God is the one, as we just saw back in Genesis 11, and 1 through 9, that God established nationalism by confusing the languages and that spread all the peoples out and into the places just like it says here so the history and the boundaries of their lands verse 27 God did this and he gives the reasoning that he did not necessarily give in Genesis so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him in other words it's going to be their will uh, he's going to seek them first but they, but they they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now here it is, though he is not far from any one of us, no matter where we are, he is not far from us. God, the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural means to reach people. It is not dependent on our action. So we got a few uh, points to make and then we'll close. I'll just read them and we can discuss them at a later time or you know, through Q&A or whatever time. We have time. Here are some of the statements made. Point G. A universal gospel 
When we say universal gospel, we mean Christ died for every sin of every person that would ever be born on planet Earth, from Adam to the last person born in the millennium. God had to know all of those sins in particular. It was not just, I'm dying for sin in general. No, he died for our sins. Every one of our sins were imputed to Christ on the cross and judged. Not only were the ones in the past uh, imputed to Christ, but all the ones in the future, which haven't even been com committed yet, have been. This is supernatural. We can't figure how all of this works, but God can. And he knows the end from the beginning. He knows from Alpha. And he's, he says, I'm, I'm the beginning and the end. I know everything in between. So another important passage, right? That, that is something for us to consider when we think about uh, the universal means. And then, so there must be a universal means of communication. In other words, uh, all of that does not require, uh, you know, us going door to door or going from, as missionaries to every nation or country or place. God has to have a universal supernatural means of communication that's going to cover everybody that Christ died for or else then God is responsible. Point H, a supernatural gospel, which it is, which we just described to everyone, demands a supernatural means of communication. It demands, it screams that. If God did all that work supernaturally, right, through the power, the omnipotence and omniscience of God, that he, that's his divine nature, then certainly for him to communicate what he has done, it has to be a supernatural means. And as we saw, God the Holy Spirit has that role. Point I, if the gospel communication depends on man, then not all have heard. Of course not, right? Like we said, did all hear? Paul says in our verse, of course they did. Right. That, well, Paul is depending on the fact that he knows God, the Holy Spirit, has communicated this information. And that's his job. Of course he's going to do his job. Well, but if the gospel communication depends on man, if that is true, then not all have heard. And we have to say, of course not. Because certainly man could not account for every person that would ever be born on planet Earth. Right? Point J, that point J, yes. If one person is ultimately lost, one person is ultimately lost because they did not hear, then God is responsible. Yes, I'm saying that. I'm saying that. One person is ultimately lost because they didn't hear. God is responsible. What about babies and people who don't reach the age of accountability? We believe that God automatically saves those people. Why, why are people lost? In the first place, and I just want to read this in John 3, 18. Listen to this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they didn't hear? No. God didn't tell them? No. Holy Spirit didn't do his job? No. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So they reject Christ, which is the one sin that God can, does not.
covered under the atonement. That is rejection of himself, of Christ. So, um, th so that is, it will be God's responsibility. And God does take responsibility and people who are um, not able to comprehend or don't have the capacity, they, we believe that they are saved. Point K. If men are without excuse, it is because God has made it clear to them. And that's what we see in Romans 1.20. God says they are without excuse. And I'm making the point, if men are without excuse, it's because God has made it clear to them, to man, and now they are responsible. That's how we should see it. They are now responsible. They're on the hook, just like we just read in John 3.18. It is because... They have not believed. Paul is literally saying that the Israel did not believe. That's the point. It's not that they didn't hear. It's that they didn't believe. They rejected. They resisted the Holy Spirit's attempts to lead them to Christ. Point I or L. So it says, um, God is in control firmly and securely. That's what we should know. When it comes to God's salvation. He doesn't need us, but he does use us. And this, that goes to the next point, point M. God does use creation, which we saw. That's another means of letting people know that he's real. He, like, he exists. And human means. He uses Gentiles. He used Jews. He uses the church. He uses, he, he'll use... Whatever he wants, but he doesn't need any of that to reach us. That is a blessing for us. The fact that we get to participate in this most important work. So God does use creation and human means, but God the Holy Spirit is still in control. Right? And this is the last point to make. Not one person, this point in, not one person ever has been saved or ever will be saved, apart from God, the Holy Spirit's intervention. And the bad news guarantees this. In other words, the bad news is the deal for every single person born in Adam. None of us understand. None of us have any fear of God in our hearts. We don't, we're not trying to be saved. We don't care about who God is, and we don't know God. We don't want God. We have a rebellious nature that we're born with that will rebel against who God is. It says the sin nature cannot be subject to God, it will not be subject to God, and neither can it be in Romans 8, 7. So that is, uh, we're going to have to conclude with all of that. Uh, we can discuss these points in more detail later, but uh, I just wanted to lay it out there. Uh, so there you have, we are, we have come to the end. I know we're out of time and I don't think we have time for q and I'm just not going to open the door for that because it'll be 10 o'clock before we know it. So let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to study your word, to focus our attention on most, the so great salvation that you have uh, given us through your word. And Lord, we, we've come to understand how we're saved and what is the way, the, the means, the roles that each member of the Trinity has undertaken to bring about salvation. We thank you for 
which we don't often say, but God, the Holy Spirit's work. Without him, we wouldn't be here. Without him, we wouldn't know the calling to which we have received, the hope of our calling, glorious riches of the inheritance that in the saints. So we thank you for God, the Holy Spirit, just as we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has executed the plan, who came and took a, a human nature and was obedient even to death on the cross for our behalf, on our behalf. So we thank you, Father, for this fantastic work uh, that has been done. And all we, we have to do, Father, is recognize and trust in your uh, firm and secure hands. We thank you for the certainty of what the scripture has taught us. We pray for wisdom as we make decisions and we reorganize our thinking so that your wisdom is our wisdom. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.